Welcome to the Kata Brothers Travel Club, a travel podcast where we explore some of the best destinations through interesting stories from locals and people that have had meaningful experiences around the world. We started this podcast to connect with friends, both old and new, to learn important lessons through traveling. We hope you get as much out of these adventures as we do. Before we get started, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify, so you're always notified when new episodes drop, and so you're officially a member of the Travel Club. Now, grab your passport, because we got a flight to catch. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Cotta Brothers Travel Club. We're your co-hosts, Jared and Brendan Cotta, and we want to thank you again for coming on another adventure with us as we continue to explore the world. You know, the podcast had started to take like a slightly different track as COVID cases were going down and we were like, oh, we still want to do this uh, and make this meaningful, um, even though we're going to be out and about. Now we're going to be able to start filling people's bucket lists and they're going to start to be able to act on our recommendations. And then things did not go very well. Um, so here we are now. And uh, <laughs> Brendan, do you want to tell the audience where we actually physically are right now? Today we're recording in our family's home in San Diego, California. Florida hit a huge resurgence in COVID cases and it just did not feel like the best place for us to be. So we flew out to California, which is seeing its own high numbers, but at least here we're around family, we're in a, a slightly bigger house, so it's it's nicer to be locked down here. Yeah, and I would say that the other thing that's really cool is uh, we're getting to be out in nature a lot more. And, uh, you know, when we lived in the city or, you know, we still have our, our apartment in Miami, in downtown Miami, but it's not really easy to get to any kind of nature hikes and, and open spaces and, um, you know, it's just nice to be here because we've been hiking almost every day. Yep. Uh, the pool is obviously not closed because it's just our family's pool. <laughs> COVID has made it so much more exciting to be in the suburbs because being in the middle of downtown Miami was fantastic when things were more normal. Yeah. But once everything closed down, just having to go down in an elevator with people and then step outside where there's a lot of people jogging past you and walking around was not the best. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I feel a lot safer here. Um, Absolutely. Even though, as you recognized, California is struggling too with cases. But overall, it's just, it, it feels nicer to not be in such a congested place. Absolutely. And we're still being safe, wearing masks, keeping distance, but at least we can do that now in a backyard. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and we should say, everybody needs to wear their mask, please. <laughs> even if you're in the suburbs. Wear your mask, regardless of where you live, city, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the on a mountainside, if you're around people, really consider wearing a mask. And, and we like to think that if people take this more seriously, I guess this is considered the second wave. But if we can really beat this, then we'll be back on the road. Then we'll be back to traveling. And these podcasts will transform less of a window into a destination that we can't reach right now and more of a travel advice podcast because... Right now, we're sort of splitting the difference. That'll be nice. Yeah, it'll be a nice change to make. Now, we also want to address the fact that it has been a couple of weeks since we released another episode, and uh, we, we hit our 10-episode 
uh, milestone, which I was really proud of us for doing. Again, I want to remind everybody that we started this podcast at, as fast as possible. Like we really tried to pump out those first 10 episodes uh, and have a presence uh, in the podcasting world while we were still on lockdown. Uh, it was more of an, an experiment for ourselves after we had been successful with BitParty and we wanted to see if we could get another podcast up and running. And um, and we and we did it. And then I think that after we hit that milestone, it felt like okay, we were rushing it a lot, and and I was getting a little stressed out about getting uh, episodes done and edited. And uh, now I feel like we're we're on a good we're going to be on a good pace for these upcoming um, maybe next ten. Yeah, I completely agree. For a while, we were going at a pace of like we would have an interview and drop an episode at least once a week. Yeah. Which was fantastic, especially with our schedules as they were. But it is a little bit breakneck. Yeah. I'm looking forward to taking it at a more casual and manageable pace. And not only that, but I think our, our lives have been changing a lot. And Brendan, I don't know if you've mentioned it before, but would you like to tell the audience what you're about to be embarking on? Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to. In a few weeks, I will sadly be leaving Miami to pursue a law degree in Tucson, Arizona. At the University of Arizona. At the University, yeah. Yeah, yeah at the Bear University down. of Arizona, uh, James E. Rogers School of Law. Congratulations. That's really exciting. Of course, I and the rest of Miami uh, will miss you dearly. Uh, it's definitely not going to be the same, but um, we know that you're going to do Everybody knows you're going to do awesome at law school, and me especially. Could not be more proud oh, thank you. of where you're going and the direction that you're going. And then where it leaves me is uh, Ileana, who has not been on this podcast yet, but has been a guest on an episode of Bit Party. That's my girlfriend, and she's going to be moving in with me. So we're both on this track of a next step in our lives and uh, working really hard. And, uh, and you know, things, things in the world are like everything feels really stagnant right now because of COVID, but we are without a doubt moving into these next phases uh, of what we're going to be doing with the rest of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And it's time consuming and it can be stressful, but it's also exciting. And I'm looking forward to, you know, as much as I've loved exploring Miami and the places near Miami together, now we'll be able to explore places separately and introduce them to each other. Yeah, exactly. That's something I'm really excited about. And uh, of course, this podcast will continue on yep. and uh, we'll just have more and more places to, to share with one another. Transitioning now to our episode today, uh, most of the world is working remote, which I think for a lot of us, we were always hoping we could do when we were in our job pre-COVID. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I always was like, why can't I do this <laughs> computer work? you know, somewhere else? Why can't I be mobile? Well, the fact of the matter is a lot of people have always been doing that, or or at least for their entire adult working life, have been mobile, working remote, and uh, are not confined to any office space. And the reason I bring that up is because our guest today, Alex Obertelli, is a quote-unquote digital nomad. And he'll explain the definition of that term once we get into the episode and the interview. But essentially, you can imagine that his life revolves around remote work, and he's using that ability to see the world. Yep. And he works from different places, and, and he can remote in and be uh, productive, but he can also live in incredible destinations like Bali or Spain or parts of Africa. And so we're really excited to, to have him on this episode. So without further ado, here's our interview with Alex. 
already none coming in. I was joking. Is is dead? Is dead? It's dead. It's dead right now. <laughs> oh, we have. Do you have Hinge over there? Uh, yeah, yeah, we do. We yeah. both are in uh, committed relationships at this time. Okay. Went long okay. ago, we were on Hinge. You have no knowledge, then, right, guys? You have absolutely no knowledge. Hinge. Yeah. What's Hinge? What is <laughs> exactly? <this> correct answer. <laughs> yeah. So, what is the best dating app to use while you're traveling along uh, on your journeys? Oh my word. Uh, that is a very good question. I tend to not use them. Uh, I have a couple of friends that when I, I travel with that will uh, change their location mm -hmm. on the app and like pre-swipe. <laughs> and I don't know, there's just such a mechanical element to that. It just doesn't seem right. I think I'm I've, obviously I've, I've tried it once or twice, but it just seems a bit weird to have like everything lined up. Like I love planning, but that is for me a step too far. <laughs> uh, now, now that we have established this, uh, let's introduce yourself so that uh, the audience can really get to know you. Tell us your name, where you're at right now, and uh, what, what you do for a living. Sure, so my name is Alex Obertelli. Um, I am a self-employed marketing consultant. Uh, mostly working with uh, small boutique hotels and restaurant chains. And I am currently in lockdown in London, where I guess I've had a semi-permanent base since February. Okay, yeah. And wh where were you right before lockdown uh, happened and you had to retreat back home? Yeah, I was, uh, I was actually in Cape Town in kind of a work slash uh, travel trip uh, for three weeks. And when I realized... I'd probably have to come home um, a week into the trip. I tried to cram in everything in a week. There is no one that's seen more of Cape Town than me in seven days. I can <laughs> I've been there before, but I had loads of stuff that I didn't do the first time because the first time I went there was primarily a work trip. Um, and I was just thinking to myself, oh no, here we go again. Like okay. something similar happened last time I had to go back early. But when the news kind of broke out that it was, you know, a lot of countries are going on lockdown, I, I had to get out of there pretty quick. Well, well that, that's, that's too bad. I mean, you'll get back to it pretty soon. I mean, so this idea, I, I have a couple questions lined up, but I feel like I want to skip around a little bit because when we were first talking and, and setting up this interview, you used this term digital nomad. Uh, mm -hmm. to describe yourself. So can you define that for the audience and uh, kind of sets the context for our conversation today? Sure. I mean, I, I personally have a very love-hate relationship with the term digital nomad. It's like Instagram influencers, right? There's a lot of whataboutery and um, for, for lack of a, a better phrase, shithousing, as we say in English. So um, it happened pretty naturally, actually. I'd been working and living in the Netherlands um, with a girlfriend at the time. And some of my clients back in the UK uh, were pretty relaxed about where I worked from. And after I built up sort of enough trust with them and had a good relationship with them, they were really cool with it and they liked, they liked the idea. So I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to do this more often sort of thing. Sadly, uh, that relationship ended, but my ability to work from literally wherever there's Wi-Fi was retained. So I thought, what can I do? And I, I joined um, a remote work program called Wi-Fi Tribe in 2018, I think. And I had my first taste of co-living uh, in Bali. Wow. And we always, when you look at, and I hate to again bring this up, but like Instagram influencers, they're always in Bali. I mean, there's some amazing hotels and locations there. Yeah, I think there's a few locations in the world that are 
almost perfectly geared up for this kind of remote worker, digital nomad movement. Um, so you want somewhere that's obviously beautiful, great internet and a lot of other like-minded people. And I think Bali is very much the epicenter of, of this kind of, if you want to call it a movement. There's so many co-working, co-living type places there. And a lot of programs like Wi-Fi Tribe have that as their sort of pinnacle destination. Mm. Um, and the, it's, it's very cheap. Um, it's, it's quite westernized, which is good and bad, but maybe we'll get into that later. But it's, it's a very easy transition for someone who's just come from a nine to five job, trying it out for the first time or equally suited to sort of a seasoned pro uh, travel aficionado who knows you know, what they're doing off the, like the back of their hands. So it, it's, it's a pretty good place to be, to be honest. That's awesome. I, I like that this is kind of becoming a, uh, a, a advice podcast for anybody that is interested in living the way that you're uh, I would take all advice from me with a pinch of salt. Yeah, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. I have the, the battle scars from, uh, from driving around Bali uh, to prove it and what not to do. So maybe that's probably a better. Yeah. How many countries did you say you've lived and worked in so far in your time as a, a, a digital nomad? Oh, I mean, if there are any authorities listening to this, then zero, because I have not ever received a work visa anywhere. But uh, yes, I mean, no one does really. It's such a gray area. But I would say, I think I've been to 70 countries and I've probably traveled and, like, and worked and lived in probably eight, I think, maybe nine, but nine a push, eight for sure. That is, that is really awesome. Uh, and, and so like, obviously traveling is an important part of your life, probably can be defined as one of your, your major hobbies. But in general, what would you say traveling means to you? Um, I think it means pursuing a change of scenery, meeting new people, having new experiences. Um, it's like getting an injection to breathe new life back into your life once you're kind of stuck with the nine to five or, or something like that. You just, you just feel like you need to uh, mix things up a little bit. Personally, I quite like pushing myself to, you know, try new things, try harder mountain hikes, going somewhere off the beaten path. Um, ultimately, I guess I'm seeking experiences that top living in Queenstown in the South Island of New Zealand, like six years ago. That to me was the pinnacle there was a famous quote from Michael Scott in the office when he's like, how do you know when you're in the good times? That is it. I know in my life that that was probably the pinnacle. Like I peaked then. So I'm forever chasing exactly that experience, which is good and bad, I guess. What, what exactly happened there? I think I just finished uni. Yeah, I just finished uni and I had one of my best friends um, travel out there the year before. And he just kept sending me FOMO care packages of just them out drinking beers, like in the mountains. I don't know. New Zealand, I guess it's the same for you guys in the US, is such a far away destination. There just seemed to be this massive allure to going out there. And I've not really done it. I've been to Peru before, but other than that, I've never been outside Europe. So New Zealand was wow. Okay, Lord of the Rings, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. And I was, I've got to go here. So after finishing my studies, I kind of persuaded my parents that it was a very good idea if I went there and travelled for six months. <laughs> Maybe they were glad to get rid of me because they bought the uh, the ticket for me, the, the one way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one way. <laughs> here you go, yeah. son. 
<laughs> yeah, let's not read too much into that. But yeah, they were probably happy to let me go for a bit. I like that you call it that uh, you're, you're chasing that peak again. I mean, that, that's a really cool like analogy. You know, but, but you have a lot of advice and we kind of talked about that as well. And, and uh, a lot of experience comes with a, a lot of ways to help other people either live the way that, that you are living, but may, or maybe not quite to that degree. So we have a couple of questions that maybe give some people uh, a take into uh, your experiences, but also some advice. As someone who's such an experienced traveler, what would you say is one thing that you cannot travel without? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I would say the custom Google Maps that me and my friends have made ourselves. Now, nice. these are incredibly nerdy but they save so much time. Uh, for example, um, I could use the, the one in, South, in Seoul in South Korea as a perfect example. You're going somewhere where English is definitely not the, the, you know, the, the main spoken language. So we had a custom Google map made for us by someone that lived there for a year of his favorite restaurants, uh, the best places to go and visit, the best hotels, bars, wh whatever it might be. This basically hand curated Lonely Planet guide for us of someone that had been there and done that in a similar industry to us doing the same kind of things that we're into. So when I arrived there, you wonder what to do on your time off. You just open the Google map and you just explore that way. It's just, it's a lifesaver for so many reasons. And I actually think Google Maps is one of the best inventions in the last 10 years when it comes to apps and tech and travel. It's just so, so good. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Are those maps public? We'd love to share them on our website. Yeah, I'll, I'll see. I'll definitely see what I can do. I know that um, I, I have access and I'm an admin. So hopefully, yeah, I, I can um, release them. We've got so many for so many different countries, sort of a, a, a network of co-collaboration across many different uh, travelers. That's really cool that that becomes kind of a community of people that are all, uh, you know, doing what you're doing, exploring the world, working abroad. That's amazing. We also yeah. want to know this. Now, now the, the Google Maps are essential for you, but is there one luxury item that you like to have in your bag at all times that you make sure you keep with you? Yeah, my, uh, my huge DSLR camera. It's so heavy, but uh, I think I can't... I recently don't have to travel with like three or four lenses anymore. I just have one monster lens, which is made the weight. It's probably equal to the three lenses put together, but it just means it's, it's more compact. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say camera, custom Google Maps, I should be okay. It might not be a luxury for many, for many people. There's probably something, something better, but as someone who's a bit of a fan of photography, I think that's probably my, my luxury item. That's awesome. And your photography is really amazing. Uh, and do you want to give the audience your uh, Instagram handle so they can be checking it out? Uh, I mean, you've kind of built it up now. They're going to get severely disappointed when they get there. But um, it's just at wherever there's Wi-Fi. Very clever. So your, your home base, like where you came back to for the quarantine is, uh, is in the UK, correct? Yeah. When you have been abroad for a while, do you ever start feeling homesick? Uh, definitely on that first New Zealand trip after a while, it was just weird to be so far away from friends and family, um, especially like probably the furthest country away from the UK possible. But I think the more you travel and the older you get, and maybe the more 
impatient and hatred and hateful of the uh, the human race and getting becoming into this bitter old man i think it, it it dissipates over time i think now no i don't i don't get homesick at all but definitely the first time for sure i remember uh missing my dog probably more than anything so if any of my family members are listening to this i apologize in advance <laughs> i think that that is something that sometimes deters people from uh, being away for a really long time i mean i know there is a certain amount of comfort that you get from being in, in your own space and when you throw that all away to to live either in in hotels or hostels it's it's a that's a yeah there's you definitely sacrifice a lot of comforts especially maybe maybe now that i've been doing this a while i think financially it, it's a little bit easier whereas i was definitely sort of fake it until you make it at the start so I was slumming it in massive hostels trying to travel as cheap as possible but now, thankfully, uh, financially, it's it's a little bit easier for for, for me to do it. But um, I definitely think that that would have a, a correlation to being homesick because obviously you've sacrificed all of the home comforts and you've kind of swapped it for you know, sharing a room with 15 other people in, in, in some places. So it, it's a bit of a shock, but I think for me, I like new experiences and, and to test myself. So I think having those obstacles to overcome is just kind of like the small price you pay for the greater outlook of what, what travel can bring you. That's awesome. Yeah. Privacy is one of those things that goes right out the door, but uh, you know, if you can get through that, you're in for an amazing experience. Yeah. You've got a lot of experience traveling to places that are a little bit out of the way, kind of off the beaten path. What would be one off the beaten path destination that you think everyone should see? Ooh, that's a very good question. Um, I really liked Lombok, which is the island next to Bali in Indonesia. It's got an international airport, flies direct to Singapore, and yet there's not, there's probably 10% of the foot traffic that Bali gets, if that, maybe 5%. It's not an unknown destination, but there's definitely some hidden gems on that island that I guess the average traveler probably wouldn't have heard of or, or been to. And as someone who'd been to Bali twice and then went to Lombok, I was completely astounded at how I hadn't been here before or heard of it in greater detail. Um, I think just got recommended it on the back in a bar in the back of a conversation as a, as a good place to go surfing. Massive undersell. There's a volcano on the island that you can climb called Mount Rinjani. That sunrise hike was probably in the top five things I've ever done in my life. And it, it was just next door to where I'd been living for six months and no one had told us about it. So um, luckily again, did that trip with a lot of the cool people from the Wi-Fi tribe, but it's just one of those things where if you don't know, you don't know. So again, the benefits of doing a lot of research before you travel, but um, in the South Island, the South part of that Island is a place called Kuta, uh, not to be confused with a Kuta in Bali, which is not a place you should ever feel the need to go to unless you fancy seeing drunk Australians trying to chat up hookers at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the Kuta uh, in Lombok in the South, I mean, absolutely beautiful coastline. We could see uh, turtles from the shoreline hundred, hundred meters away. And I, my eyesight is awful. So it was just a beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, again, with a lot of really nice people, which helped, but, um, some of the clearest water I've seen on my travels, no one around, everything super cheap, just really undeveloped and tr like authentic taste of of, uh, of Indonesia. It was amazing. 
Wow, that, that's a great uh, recommendation. I thought it was going to be like, oh, this little bar or this little restaurant in somewhere. <laughs> but no, you hit us with one of the best islands in the world. Yeah, uh, it's kind of got a bit of um, uh, a problem with earthquakes because it lies on that fault line. I think Bali in Indonesia in general suffers quite badly from sort of natural disasters, unfortunately. And there was a really bad earthquake, I think, five years ago. So a lot of um, Lombok is still being rebuilt, but for the average traveler passing through in that part of the world, I, I'd say it's definitely not somewhere to be missed. I was supposed to go there for two weeks, ended up staying three months. Wow, it must have really captivated you. That's incredible. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was a great place. I've got the scars on my leg to, uh, to remind myself daily of what Lombok was like after I broke on a corner for a street dog and the back wheel hit some shingle and the wheel like came forward and I went flying off and always wear a helmet. Luckily I was wearing a helmet, but yeah, it was not a fun week. There's some more great advice. Always wear a helmet. That's some travel. Always wear a helmet. Doesn't matter if your short back and sides haircut is going to look floppy for those seven out of tens in the bar later. It doesn't matter. You really <laughs> wear a helmet. Come on. If, if you set them up ahead of time, then you don't have to worry. You can get some time to prep, you know? <laughs> When, when we talk to our uh, adventuring friends, we usually like to hit these big four things. And I think that they're kind of the four things that you want to get out of any travel experience. And that's yeah. food, drink slash nightlife. You want to absorb culture and you want to go do something outdoors, like some kind of excursion. So we usually base a lot of our questions kind of around that. And we'll, we'll go sort of in order. So I was wondering, could you tell us what the best food city you've ever encountered is? Again, I, I think you'd be pretty pre pretty pressed to find somewhere better than Bali in terms of the foods uh, for the sheer choice you have. It's kind of like eat, East meets West. Um, but Seoul in South Korea was on another level. Foodie heaven. Luckily, we got showed around by um, a Korean friend we met in Switzerland. We tried things like live octopus. Uh, apologies for any of the vegans out there, but it was full of crazy ex food experiences. And my knowledge of Korean food was was okay, I, I guess, but the the recommendations we got were probably extremely unhealthy, but amazing. They they live they live to eat and drink the South Koreans. They're so sociable, such nice, friendly people, and I think they must go out seven seven days a week. <laughs> I don't know when they sleep. Honestly, they're the first up in the morning and the the last to leave the bar. Like New York City is the city that never sleeps, but I think Seoul is, is not far behind. Other good uh, food cities in Europe, I really liked uh, Sevilla in Spain and Bologna in Italy were, were places where I definitely got fat. <laughs> now, before we, I'm glad you brought up Seoul because uh, we, we should give a shout out to Deanna Cook, who we interviewed recently on another episode, and then she introduced us to you. And, and I believe that you two met in Seoul, is that correct? Yeah, we were this uh, very loud American girl came into our hostel. Uh, and, uh, I'm joking. She, she was great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've almost forgiven her for getting me up at seven o'clock to hike uh, Bukhansen Mountain on probably my worst hangover in Seoul. It's been like two years and I, I've probably just about forgiven her. But uh, yeah, she's, she's a great girl. I don't think that she would be offended by the, the Loud American because uh, if you listen to her episode, she definitely recommends going into the hostel. First thing you want to do is gather all your tribe, gather your friends up. So uh, I think she'd probably wear that badge. Yeah, I know. Yeah, she's, she's great. What's the best party that you've experienced in the places that you traveled to? Ooh. 
uh, me and my friend in in Seoul dressed up as uh, we we had horse masks on for Halloween at a WeWork party. I, that got out of hand fast. Um, I guess it depends on who you're with, right? But I think I have to go back to Queenstown, where I said originally uh, in New Zealand. It's a really small t- a town sitting at the foothill of uh, a couple of mountain ranges, and uh, the locals that live there and work in the in the tourism industry or uh, in the bars. They all, they all, everyone knows each other. So every, all the bar stuff, like they recognize you, you're getting free drinks or whatever. And it's just, it was a really nice close knit group of people we had. And I think every other shop in Queenstown is a restaurant or a bar. So you, you, you're never, ever short of options, uh, whatever the weather may be. And uh, skinny dipping in the lake there will remain one of my top five uh, moments as well. Just complete madness. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a great place. It's unbelievable. That is great. Still on the topic of the nightlife and, and going out with friends, my brother and I consider ourselves dive bar connoisseurs. Like we like the grimiest bar that you can find. So on your adventures, what would you say is the best dive bar or pub that you've come across? Oof. There's a lot in Tokyo. Okay. Yeah, there's a, I can't remember the name. Is it Golden Guy or something like that? There's a street in Tokyo where I think it's just full of bars that have a maximum occupancy of maybe five to 10 people. They're tiny. Um, And they're all playing, like, you'll go past one and it'll be playing K-pop and the other one will be playing, like, Slipknot. It's just a complete amalgamation of musical madness meets jaeger bombs and belgian czech beers it's it's crazy and there's you know people that are just in suits just slowly sipping their sake listening to like limp biscuit you can't get that anywhere else it's <laughs> it's such a surreal experience and uh again i went um i went with a, a girlfriend at the time and i think we we only uncovered maybe the, the tip of the iceberg but we found it pretty strange but amazing at the same time that that sounds incredible I and mean, that sounds like a place that is a must hit for us we're i'm trying to put together the list of all the dive bars that everybody recommends to us okay that's just like we gotta go we have to see. yeah well i think you'd love indonesia because they they're so good when they pick something like whether it's a sport or i don't know an interest they they become obsessed by it so there's some Indonesian clubs that they probably rival some of the, the best ones in, in Berlin, for example. They look at it and they'll go, right, what's the best and the worst aspects of that? And they'll create like their own version of it and it will just be amazing. There's a, there was a couple of, I mean, this is not a great thing for Bali. I'm sure it was better when the whole island was rice fields. But now that it's got a bit more infrastructure and a bit more westernized, they put like underground clubs and stuff there now. It's completely changed to the first time I went but uh if you're passing through for a couple of weeks and you're just there to have a good time on holiday then you're going to reap you know the, the the benefits of that but yeah there's there's a lot of good grimy dive bars in in Bali you, I think you should go <laughs> appreciate the recommendation we'll we'll put yeah. it on our list for sure um now I wanted to ask what country did you find to have the most interesting cultural traditions uh, I think it has to be Japan. I think uh, uh, Jap- Japan was, I think, the first Asian country I went to. And it's just such a culture shock. C- 
Korea was far less of a culture shock. One, because I experienced Japan, and two, Korean is a little bit more westernized. They, they, I think their favorite sport is baseball, for example. They love like the chicken and beer concepts that America. They, they, they love America. Um, so I think Japan, off the bat, was was very it was a huge culture shock going in cold turkey not knowing really what to expect um as someone that never been to asian before they have Kf- kfc on christmas eve as tradition the the onsens that they have like the the, the thermal spas you just rock up get naked with a load of other middle-aged men it was completely surreal and the floating lanterns and the whole symbolism of mount fuji pretty much you can't step more than 10 meters without seeing some sort of Mount Fuji reference in Japan is, is it's just amazing. So it's a, be- a beautiful, beautiful country. I'd love to go back. Uh, did you partake in the spas? Did you uh, go enjoy those while you were there? Yes. Uh, I, I think I was forced into it in the end. I think uh, the missus at the time booked us into a, uh, one of the onsens that they had there. Or I can't remember. Maybe she did. Maybe I'm making that up because I'm trying to distance myself from any kind of blame uh, mentally. There's a block there. But yeah, it was it was very surreal. I think we have them in in Europe. I think in Germany and Austria, it's kind of a bit of a tradition in the saunas there after skiing to sh- get your kit off, and it, you know it's cool. They're, they're very you know liberating, some might say. But I don't. I wouldn't class myself as a prude. But I think there's got to be a fine line between that and then you know just completely getting into this quite small area with about thirty other naked uh, Japanese men. You're clearly the odd one out. Let's let's not lie here. One severely uh, sunburnt Brit sticking out like a sore thumb. Uh, hopefully, in not in more ways than one. But uh, yeah, it was it was very weird, but really cool. Like I'm glad I did it because it's it's obviously a, it's a tradition over there. And, you know, I think again completely out of the comfort zone for for someone at the time. But I think now I, I wouldn't wouldn't think twice. But oh yeah, it's okay. It's an answer. This is this is how how it is. This is how you do it. And I think. It's so weird having that before and after experience uh, or take on it without you know, having to do it. I think it would change your, your outlook on what might seem strange in another culture when you haven't done it, but when you partake, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I get that. I think a lot, a lot of people in the world could do with maybe broadening their horizons a little bit at the moment without getting too political. No, no, absolutely. No, we don't shy away too much from the politics, but, uh, but yeah, I think that one thing that is really amazing is when you look back at yourself, you know, when you're reflecting on what you were like before one of those experiences and then what you're comfortable with right after. Completely. I remember our friendship group at the time, as I said, when um, one of my best mates went out to, to, to New Zealand while after he finished uni, a lot of my friends like, you know, why, why is he doing that? Or they couldn't really see why he wanted to sort of leave our friendship group and start this supposed new life for himself elsewhere and and i thought that too i thought like why would you really want to go that far like i i i don't know i thought you know i knew about gap year and, and all that stuff and, and going traveling but i never really had um a desire to, to really leave england and looking back on it now i'm like i want to smack myself in the face and go you stupid boy why did you not start doing this sooner such closed-minded idiot i think the person i am now post traveling versus what I was like before are two completely different people and I know which one I'd like to have a drink in a bar with and it isn't the first one that's an awesome analogy I love that it seems like a lot of the places that you go to you really make an effort to uh, go out and see like the natural beauty that they have 
Um, what would you say are your top three must-see natural wonders that you visited? I think Machu Picchu lives up to the hype. Even though I was very young when I went there, it still amazed me. And I think if I went back there now, it would be even more so. That in my pre-travel phase of my life, or that one of the first ones really stuck with me as being just completely epic, living up to the hype. I would say just the sheer beauty of New Zealand in itself should be a natural wonder. Uh, Milford Sound in the South Island, I think is, you know, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site and rightly so, that was amazing. And as Zermatt in Switzerland, the Matterhorn, um, again, Switzerland, one of the most beautiful countries in the world for mountains and lakes. Um, I would say in terms of picturesque quality, those three stand out. That's awesome. And then also on that idea of you really immersing in, in the cultures and, and finding your way around countries, is there something that you try to do in every country you visit? Um, I try to get off the beaten path. And I think it's very easy at the moment, or I should say these days, to to do that because there's so many travel influencers or bloggers out there. You just have to Google, you know, hidden gems, China, hidden gems, Japan or something. And you'll find stuff that something that maybe only the locals really know about because they've spent so much time there. Or if you're slow traveling and you're not there just on a two week holiday, you know, you're, you're, you're there living there for six months and you'll, you'll get to hear about or learn about these places. Like I, the touristy places are touristy for a reason, right? Because they're usually the best. So don't just dismiss touristy places off the bat because there's obviously a lot of stuff worth seeing. But I think balancing it out with slightly less busy but still cool um, cool things to see, but also getting recommendations off locals. And that was one of the best things about Wi-Fi Tribe in Bali is we had a, a guide with us called Fi who was brilliant at giving us recommendations and what we could or couldn't do in two days, things like that. Someone that's been there and done it, it's just invaluable experience. So even if you don't know anyone, you can still find travel blogs. And even though I'm not the biggest fan of many travel influencers, I think there are still a lot of good guys out there, uh, good guys and girls out there that are doing a fantastic job at you know putting these slightly hidden locations on the map, as it were. Very cool. And that's really the, the inspiration behind this travel podcast is to, to kind of meet people that have been there, whether they're locals or long-term travelers, and get those, those recommendations that you wouldn't get just online uh, you know, with a cursory search, uh, really finding some of the things that, that make you actually in touch with that nation and, and feel that destination uh, for what it, what it lives up to its potential. Exactly. And, even, and you can also go a step above that. So not only someone that's been there and done it and lived there, you can also say that pool is 100 people or 200 people, whatever it might be. You can also filter that down into people that have the same interests as you. So you can curate the perfect experience because you've seen them have it. And if you're interested in what they like, so you could, uh, I really like um, a uh, travel photographer slash uh, hiker called Jackson Groves. Um, it's an Australian guy. Um, yeah. Looks a bit like Jesus. He's, he's amazing. And he just did a, a top 50 hikes in Switzerland. And it's the most detailed and perfect piece of influencer slash travel content I've ever seen. It's immaculate. It gives you everything you ever need to know from difficulty ratings to where you can sleep prices, absolutely everything. It must have taken him months and months of work 
so stuff like that it's, it's invaluable that that to me now that's my next planned trip i want to go and do some of the things that um that he experienced and some of the places that he's put on the map because i know i share similar interests to him if that makes sense yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of, of being experienced uh, in, in certain specific topics, I don't want to miss the opportunity to ask you, well, if you can answer this question, what are some of the best hotels in the world? Oh, okay. So you're putting me on the spot here because if any of my clients are listening, I will obviously say their hotels, link in bio, go stay there when you can, et cetera, et cetera. But the one and only in Cape Town, is fantastic and the the mandarin oriental in bangkok the two that stand out for me i don't even want to know how much they are a night that's not relevant is it now let's not depress ourselves by looking at the booking.com rates the one and only in cape town is majestic i think the the oriental in uh, bangkok i think was officially the best hotel in the world for a while okay Um, but my my dad was um uh, part of the um, the Dorchester group, so Beverly Hills Hotel uh, in LA, obviously the Dorchester here, as well as other hotels in in Paris and Italy, etc. And um, he he kind of agrees with me, and if he's the big dog for me, so if he says yes to those, then I, I have to go with him as well. He's influenced me. We looked up the one and only in Cape Town, and it looks absolutely stunning. I highly recommend people check it out. As you can imagine, the the views from that hotel are gorgeous. Looking out at Tabletop Mountain in uh, South Africa, they have an incredible spa, an unbelievable wine vault that is world-renowned, and a pool area that is absolutely world-class. They really utilize all of the the free space around them in Cape Town Mm -hmm. to make this incredible enclosed compound that's very luxurious and beautifully designed. I did some research on the Mandarin Oriental in Bangkok, and while it's a little bit smaller than the one and only, it's just as luxurious and beautiful. They have huge windows that overlook their what looks like their garden area, and it, it's just a stunning hotel in the middle of the city. And I didn't know that there's also a Mandarin Oriental in, uh, in Miami, actually yeah. pretty close to us. Yeah, there is, yeah. Definitely check out those hotels, especially if you're into luxury travel. Anyways, back to the interview. You've clearly learned a lot from like when you started to uh, to now. Like you even said, you had the scars to prove that uh, you've you've learned from Bali. Do you have any advice for long-term adventurers that you would uh, tell that you've learned in your time? Yeah, I think uh, if you can pack as light as possible be ruthless you don't really hear too many complaints about what people packing like when they're when they are somewhere oh i don't have this i don't have that they always have too much right it's always oh i can't fit this in my bag or because the likelihood is you're going to come home with more stuff than you left with and maybe it's slightly different for guys and girls i know girls have a little bit more to pack but i'm i'm completely ruthless like when i went to cape town recently i just did hand luggage yes to save on the baggage correct but also because it's just lighter it's just i think i don't i've only started to do this so if i've technically been traveling five years or whatever only in the last 18 months or so have i become quite cold-blooded in terms of what can and can't go in the bag but um especially if you're going somewhere warm again another advantage shorts t-shirts it's so i guess it depends on the destination but largely pack as light as you can. And I guess 
um, have a rough idea of what you want to do by downloading one of our custom Google Maps. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that when I discovered that having a great backpack, like a great travel backpack is an essential thing for, for a good traveler. Like once I discovered like I can fit everything in my backpack, that was a game changer. You're so mobile, yeah. so agile. <laughs> exactly. And I remember being like, what, like $200 for a backpack? Like, are you kidding me? What? Just to place this all my stuff now, now, I think I'd spend more, you know, if it's something that, you know, does, does the job and is, is, is made well and I can fit my camera equipment in there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't blink. Yeah. But I remember that time being disgusted at the prices of luggage and now I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, that's worth it. That's awesome. Yeah. So we got just one more question. It's probably one of the most important ones, but it, it's a little tricky right now in the, in the COVID world, but what's the next destination for you? Uh, yes, it depends on where it opens up, but I think doing some hiking in Switzerland is mega high up on the list of priorities, but perhaps um, more likely uh, sooner would be either Portugal or Spain, whichever um, opens first. Uh, England's not got a great uh, COVID-19 track record at the moment, so I'm sure a lot of countries will not want us going anywhere near them for a while. You can I guess them. if we can prove that we're healthy, hopefully they'll, they'll let some of the good ones back in. Um, before we close up, do you have any, uh, any shout outs that you want to uh, have on here? I think it would be really cool if we could get my friend uh, Johan on here. He is a hair designer for video games. He is the go-to for any video game. If you want the characters to have realistic, majestic hair, he is your go-to guy. He has positioned himself in the niche of all niches and he is the number one in the world. And I think something that sounds really nerdy on paper and when you meet him is com complete paradox, complete juxtaposition. He, he is he's the most, one of the most interesting guys I know. And uh, he recently just got engaged, so shout out to him. Uh, I think he'd be he'd be a great addition to the podcast because he's got some amazing um, travel stories. Uh, we've been to a few places together, but he he's been to a lot of uh, Central and South America as well. Um, we went sailing in Sweden together. Um, yeah, the guy the guy's uh, an animal. So if we could get him on, that'd be great. That, that's a great shout out. And yeah, we, we love this idea. I mean, you're setting us up for our next episode, which is uh, what we, we usually ask right before we launch somebody's uh, interview. Um, we always say, okay, who's the next person? It's time to pass the, the baton. And um, that's really been the fun thing about this show is that we're, we're working our way across the world, making new friends just by the people that started out in our phone book. So, um, you know, it's been a real privilege and we'd, we'd love to have Johan on and, and talk to him about his adventures too. And I guess about digital hair, virtual hair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it cracks me up. Just, it's just so ridiculous, but it's brilliant at the same time. Absolutely. It sounds like it. Alex, this has been a lot of fun. We really appreciate you taking some time out of your day. Uh, we had a great time interviewing you and hearing more about your story. You've been to so many places. I think that it would be apt if we brought you back on eventually to hear some more stories, maybe an anecdote or two, uh, a little uh, travel essay. Do you do any other uh, uh, documenting besides photography? Do you ever do any writing? I do a lot for work and I think maybe I've fallen out of love with it. I think once upon a time I toyed with the idea of writing or keeping some kind of blog online, but sort of hidden, almost being like a, a, a diary of sorts. God, that sounds lame. I, I, 
I just feel like I'm going to get Parkinson's and never remember anything. So I want to have it all documented somewhere. I guess photography does really help with that because mm-hmm. I think it's just that moment in time. But maybe the blogging will come back, but not not for that, not for the moment. I think, as I said, I've done too much of it for clients and I think it just, mm-hmm. it just feels like work. Whereas pointing and clicking a button on a camera to me is a lot less hassle. Well, well, whether you get back to writing or not, we'll have to have you back on to tell more stories. Thank you. I'll so come much. back with a few more scars on my leg, and then maybe I'll, that, that should be the qualifier for uh, for getting a second ep. <laughs> maybe maybe a scars episode should be a focus. So we'll go through all of our friends that have travel scars. Okay. Yeah. That's Thank cool. you so much, Alex. We'll see you again soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Cheers, guys. Alex, thank you so much for coming on to the Cotter Brothers Travel Club and sharing your stories. Yet another guest that has been all over the world that we probably need to bring back on uh, because their experiences are immense and they really are familiar with numerous countries and have had incredible times uh, exploring the entire world. The interview was amazing. Alex is such a great storyteller. And what I really liked about this episode in particular is that it's not even a travel guide. It's a lifestyle guide if you're someone who enjoys not having a home base and being constantly seeing new places and having new experiences while they work. Yeah, that was really cool insight. He had a lot of advice. Uh, I, I Honestly, I think about our other brother, Landis Kata, as somebody that would listen to this episode and become inspired. I know there are a lot of people out there that are kind of intrigued by this lifestyle and are just not pulling the trigger right away. Brendan, if you could work remote, if your job allowed you to just have a computer and uh, you could live anywhere while you were working, where would you go? Thinking back on some of our other episodes, I feel like Singapore would actually be a great place to do something similar to that if I didn't have to find a job in the area. Well, Singapore is also a really good place to be an expat, as we as we heard from our second episode. So it's not so hard to find a job based there, but... Singapore is a great place to live anyways because it has such a huge airport accessible to all parts of Asia, Australia, the Middle East, uh, India. You know, it's a, it's a really fascinating place. So, yeah, I mean, either way, you'd be winning. Yeah, yeah, it'd be great. And it seems to cater a lot to young professionals, which, you know, like Alex was saying, all you need is a place to work and some Wi-Fi. And I'm sure I could find that in Singapore. Now, before we move on and and say goodbye for this episode, uh, we do want to let all of our audience know that they should check out our new blog posts that have been going up regularly on the website cottabrotherstravelclub.com. Now, even though we haven't been recording as much, we've still been doing a lot of writing and, and talking about travel lists and making our own bucket list using the advice our guests have given us. So if you want to get some summaries of the episodes that we've had and you want to hear some of the, you know, maybe our favorite dive bars or our favorite natural wonders, those lists are actually on our website right now. Check them out. And don't forget that you should hit us up anytime if you have a story to tell about travel or life or some unique destination, because this podcast can't be made without the help of our friends and our family and uh, people that also share our vision for a world that's connected through a love for adventure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Cotta Brothers Travel Club. This is a good chance to let you all know that we have a website. Go to cottabrotherstravelclub.com to find our city guides, travel essays, and the best way to contact us directly. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Look for Cotta Bros underscore 
Travel Club. We want to keep building this community of explorers. So please hit us up on social media or on our website so you can share your adventures and stories from around the world. Finally, we know these are challenging times. This podcast was our outlet for self-expression, and we appreciate our listeners, friends, and family that are helping us to make it possible. However, if you are ever feeling sad, isolated, or even displaced, please reach out to us. Even the most experienced traveler gets lost sometimes and needs some help to find their way. We hope you'll tune in next time, and most importantly, welcome to the club.